Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, your host for this class every Sunday. States and likewise a bit after four o'clock in the eastern time zone. It's twenty hours GMT and just a bit after ten in the morning here in uh, Maui, Hawaii. And my pleasure to be with you. Looking forward to today's class. We're going to talk about the sacred Om in Eastern philosophy. Uh, I must say, as a bit of an aside, I have become recently less and less inclined to even talk about Eastern philosophy as religion. And uh, technically I'm probably wrong to insist that Hinduism and Buddhism and and Jainism, uh, Confucianism are not religions. Technically they probably are, but they are so different from the three monotheistic religions that we're familiar with uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the Muslim religion, so entirely different that, um, again, I hesitate to even compare them. And to me, the great tragedy is that people think that if they favor Buddhism as a philosophy or, quote, religion, that they would have to give up Christianity, that you could not be a Christian Buddhist or a Buddhist Christian. And of course you can. You could be a Buddhist Catholic. You can be a Jewish Buddhist. You can be a a, 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 a Muslim Hindu or a Hindu Muslim. You, these Eastern philosophies are just that. They're philosophies. Uh, Confucianism uh, is more or less a collection of folk wisdom, of aspirisms and sayings of wise men and, and women from time out of mind. Uh, Confucius, interestingly, at least to me, lived about the same time as the other Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu. There are some stories that they met, though that's never been verified. And uh, this is also about the same time that uh, uh, Gautama Siddhartha, Prince Siddhartha, received his enlightenment and became the first uh, Buddha, and about the same time as Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. All of this is about uh, 800 years after Moses and 500 years before Jesus. All right? uh, in other words, about 500 B.C. We figure Moses was about 1300 B.C. I always think that's an interesting number because nobody ever uses it or says it, but Near as I can tell, the research I've done, that's the consensus of scholars. Uh, about about 1,300 years B.C., that was Moses. About 500 B.C., again, all of these wise men, uh, East and West, the Greek philosophers, the Chinese, the great Chinese philosophers, and, of course, the Indian mystics and Hartha, um, all walked on the planet pretty much at the same time. And uh, then uh, about 500 years later, um, Christ appears, and about 500 years after that, um, the Prophet Muhammad appears and reveals the Quran to the to the uh, and Islam 
happened to the people of that region, who honor uh, Judaism. I heard somebody say the other day that a lot of Muslims think of Judaism as religion 1.0 and Christianity as religion 2.0 and Islam as religion 3.0. And uh, so they just have the new and better version. But all three are about salvation, about redeeming the um, the sinner uh, into a soul worthy of uh, going to heaven upon death to its eternal uh, reward uh, to live with the Creator and who else is up there, all of the angels and devas and what have you. Whereas the Eastern religions, again, are, I would have to say more philosophies. The Chinese, in Confucianism and Taoism, uh, tend to think of life as an organic living thing, a life as one life, much as the ancient Egyptians did. And we see some of that in the Western religions, but not like the uh, the Chinese. And uh, Hinduism, and of course Buddhism spun out of Hinduism, uh, tends to see religion more or less as a drama or a play, uh, a great stage play uh, for the entertainment, if you will, of the one life or, or God or, or the Most High, with some magical implications that um, we can, by understanding that we're playing roles and characters, transcend the role and actually become a producer of the play and live a life where we're in the play, but at least we know it's a drama, it's not really real, that we're most of us not awake enough to make the conscious choices necessary to live a fully realized life. And so much of Eastern philosophy is about escape uh, of the suffering, escaping the suffering through self-realization. A concept in the West we often call self-actualization, coined by Maslow, the peak of the Maslow pyramid or hierarchy, self-actualization or Again, in the East, they call it self-realization, um, which I like even more. So, having said that, we're going to talk about Eastern philosophy, if not religion. And one of the symbols that really unifies Eastern philosophy that is found throughout, and that's the sacred Om, uh, both as a symbol, visually, and as a sound, pronounced A-U-M, A-U-M. Uh, I'm going to just speak about it off the top of my head for a while. I have a few quotes by Eastern philosophers, or again, if you wish, um, religious teachers, and what they've had to say about it. And um, then we'll go to your questions and comments a little later in the hour, and uh, you can participate in uh, one of two ways, either with text messages on the web page in front of you. You'll see the fields down at the bottom of the web page. Some of you may have to scroll down a little bit, but I think most of you 
depending on how your machine is set up, will probably see those fields at the bottom of the web page. And it just asks for a, a question or a comment. And, um, and then I'd like you to also use the fields that request a name, at least a first name, and the city where you are. I get a real kick out of uh, reading the cities. And uh, that never gets old for me. I'm an old amateur radio operator from when I was a teenager and talking to people around the world uh, by voice or Morse code or radio teletype or, you know, shortwave uh, was something that thrilled me as a, as a little boy, and I never really got over it. So to be able to say, you know, so-and-so's in Quebec and so-and-so's in uh, uh, London, then we got a call from uh, Spain and Bangkok and uh, or Kansas and Oregon and Texas, whatever. I love that stuff. So uh, put your at least your first name and your city in there also. And if you'd rather use the telephone, you can do that. Be aware that the uh, once you pick up the telephone, uh, you're going to go really live, and the web, just like talk radio, will you'll realize is on a delay. Uh, the web feed is delayed about 15 seconds, a little more, a little less. So be aware of that if you decide to use the telephone. And the telephone number, the primary and the backup numbers are on the page in front of you. If you do not yet have flat rate long distance and you have to pay for your long distance per minute, open up the link that says other numbers because there's 20, 30 numbers in there all over the United States. And you could find one close to you that would be a local call. Again, I think most people now have flat rate long distance, and it doesn't really matter. But if you're still paying per minute and you want to use the telephone, open up the link right on the web page in front of you, right above the player that says other numbers. Choose one near you, and uh, you'll be able to uh, save any toll. And in the meantime, you may want to call your telephone company and <laughs> find out what your options are on flat rate. Uh, uh, I got a great deal in Hawaii. I think I pay $25 a month, and I can unlimited calling from a Hawaii to all U.S. territories, the mainland, and Canada as well, as long as I want. It's a pretty good deal. That's That's the way they do it these days. Remember also, this program is available as a replay, both as streaming audio on my website and as a podcast. You can also download um, from the stream. So let me explain that real quickly. Go to the website, theagelesswisdom.com, and the word the is part of the address. So after the W's, theagelesswisdom.com. Dot com. When the splash page comes up, click on home page to go inside, and then the links you'll see on the left, choose web teleconference, and that'll show you the upcoming program two or three days in advance, and all of the past classes are listed there as well. All right, You can listen streaming. Uh, you can also download. There's a link where you can download onto your desktop and drag that onto your MP3 player if you want to do it that way. You can also go to the iTunes Store or any major podcast directory like Podcast Pickle or any of the better podcast directories on the Internet and search for The Ageless Wisdom or Michael Benner 
or some combination of those words, you should have no problem finding it. And with a single click, subscribe to the podcatcher of your choice. Most of us are using iTunes. It's an excellent program. It's uh, compatible with Mac and PC, and it's absolutely free. Great way to organize all of your music, to make playlists, to burn CDs for your friends, to get trip mixes for the car, and it's got a built-in podcatcher, too, and all of our programs are going there automatically. And you'll just play around with it a little while, and you'll be amazed at how easy it is to get hooked on podcasts. You may never turn your TV on again. A lot of really good stuff out there. All right? And podcasts are always free. So I uh, want you to be aware of that. All right? So I think that's about it for the preliminaries. Um, let me talk a little about the sacred ohm. Uh, first of all, just to review what we said in the uh the newsletter, excuse me a second, don't want my coffee to get too cold here. Somebody said to me the other day, what's the difference between a radio program and a class on the Internet? I said, a radio program, I have to keep going. A class, I can stop and drink coffee. That's the difference. So this is a class. <laughs> I did find my cough button, though, so I can at least, if I need to clear my throat, press the cough button. We got some automatic gain control on this system now, too. I think the volume level should be better. I was getting feedback a few months ago that the volume level for some of you who did not have powered speakers uh, and small laptops, you're having a problem with it. Let me know if it's better. If you notice it being better now, because we've got this new AGC on here, so I hope so. Um, as I said in the newsletter, the the sacred word OM is spelled O-M, but it's pronounced A-U-M, A-U-M. Some of you may uh, be peers of mine and old enough to remember the Moody Blues song, Aum. And the reason that Om is pronounced with three syllables, even though it's spelled with two, and we'll talk about the visual symbol as well at some point today, is that there is a trinity within divinity in virtually all religions and all traditions. Now again, I'm speaking mostly now to people in the United States and the Western Hemisphere, Europe, um, so you're all familiar with the Christian Trinity, which is Father, Son, and Mother, or because of the patriarchal nature of the Church, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But um, it, it corresponds to the to the mind, to the heart, and to the body of God. So the Father aspect of God, they don't tell you this often in church, but it's pretty simple, the will of God, the mind of God, the intention of God, the divine plan, the purpose and power of God is the Father aspect. All right, That's the mind of God, so to speak, corresponds with your free will or your mental nature. The Son, the Christos, Jesus the Christ, 
Jesus the Christos, all right, the, represents the heart of God, the love of God, the soul, so to speak. And the mother aspect is Mother Earth, which, of course, because the Church, first the Catholics and later the Protestants, uh, wanted to create separation with the pagans, they took the mother, the divine mother, out of everything. And so father, son, and mother became father, son, and Holy Spirit. doesn't mean the father is not Holy Spirit. doesn't mean the son is not Holy Spirit. But what the mother aspect called Holy Spirit corresponds to is the body of God, which is the physical universe. So, interestingly, in all religions, in all traditions, you may find a rare exception, but generally speaking, this triune nature, or this trinity of divinity, is found in all religions. In ancient Egypt, as I mentioned in the newsletter, it was king, prince, and queen. Same thing. And uh, in, uh, in ancient Egypt, the king was called Osiris, and the son was Horus, and the queen was Isis. Uh, the story of Horus is very similar to the story of Jesus Christ, in that um, he was born of a virgin, uh, worked as a carpenter in his youth, uh, became a teacher, and was later crucified. That whole story <laughs> happened long before Christ. Um, it seems to be an epic that, that turns up again and again. Uh, there's no historical evidence that um, that Horus actually existed. It, it might just be a story. One of the strengths of Christianity is there is substantial evidence, like the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Nag Hammadi Gospels, the so-called Gnostic Gospels, that there really was such a guy as Jesus. Um, and... Uh, so that lends credence to that, but then some of the attributes of his life may have been culled from these previous stories of, of Savior and salvation. But even in the Jewish religion, you have, the, I don't mean to say even in the Jewish religion, also in the Hebrew religion of the uh, of the Jews, you have the same trinity, the exalted Sephiroth of Kether, Kachma, and Banah, which stands for uh, crown, uh, knowledge, and understanding. So we shouldn't be surprised if we turn to Eastern philosophy or religion, if you will, and find in divinity the same three parts. What are the three parts in the Om? Well, several ways to look at it. The, the trinity in Hinduism, and to some extent in Buddhism also, because Buddhism spun off of Hinduism, and Jainism as well, and even Taoism in China is very similar, is Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, the creator, the preserver, and, if you will, the destroyer, except uh, that's not a good word, really the best word. I, th I, I, I like dissolver, okay, because destruction in Eastern philosophy is not seen as an end, but part of a cycle of reincarnation and rebirth and so things have to be you know, not destroyed so much as dissolved much as 
leaves in the autumn dry up, fall off the tree, and are dissolved into the earth, and then the nutrients taken up by the tree again the following year. And so Eastern philosophers saw this same cycle, this great Mandela, or wheel, of life going around and around. So the creator, the preserver, and the dissolver, or often called destroyer, represents the cycle, that permanent, eternal, cyclic uh, spin of the Mandela around and around. Brahma, uh, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. But the Om also represents in many ways a trinity that is described in the East as sky, atmosphere, and earth. Isn't this interesting? Because again, you see the correspondence in Christianity. In fact, Catholics, uh, my God, I don't know why they don't explain this to Catholics. The sign of the cross is exactly this identification of the triune nature. When a Catholic says, in the name of the Father, he touches his forehead or her forehead, your own forehead, which is your mind, your brain, your mental nature. In the name of the Father, I touch my mind. In the name of the Son, I touch my heart, my emotional nature. And in the name of the Mother, or the Holy Spirit, I touch my shoulders. So the lower correspondence of the divine trinity will love physical universe as a body would be the mental, emotional, and physical nature of the human being. We see this then in the Om as sky, atmosphere, and earth the same trinity, the same hierarchy, if you will, the same order of things. The sky corresponding to the Father aspect, the, the will of God, the mental nature of God, the intentions of God, the divine plan, if you will, that sky in the Hindu or Buddhist tradition. And then atmosphere, well, that's between sky and earth. So that's the sun of Father, Spirit, and mother matter and then earth itself again would be the mother aspect of the uh, of this uh, trinity uh, sky atmosphere and earth very different from brahma vishnu shiva those are not the meanings of brahma vishnu and shiva i've already said that's creator preserver and dissolver but then uh, having said that it's still remarkable to look at the threefold nature of these systems again and again human beings have intuited and that's really the word I mean I, you talk about the word of God or the divine word or the Bible Western Christians will say um, uh, you know the Bible is the word of God the undisputed word of God and yet obviously men wrote it right on animal skins that were decaying and dissolving, <laughs> dissolving again. And so they had to be copied over onto other animal skins and later on the parchment, and some of which were stuck into jars and steel, sealed and, and, and buried in the earth and found later again 
1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls. After that, the Nag Hammadi Gospels. But most Christians are still using the 1611 King James Version. They don't want to. <laughs> they don't want to be confused by any new information from the Dead Sea Scrolls, much less the Gnostic Gospels of Nag Hammadi, which are very metaphysical, very spiritual, in a, in a metaphysical uh, orientation. It's a great read. Anything you can get your hands on about the Gnostic Gospels or the Nag Hammadi uh, Gospels uh, is going to be a, uh, a great read. I'm trying to think of the woman. Is it Pagel? Ellen Pagel? Something like that? Who wrote a book about 15, 20 years ago simply called the Gnostic Gospels. It's an absolute classic. Uh, I remember at... Uh, when 1999 became the year 2000, the uh, Los Angeles Times did a, an article on the, the best 100 books of the last 100 years, I think it was. The best 100 books of the last 100 years, from 1900 to 2000. And this was one of them. If my memory serves me, it was Eileen Pagel who wrote this book called The Gnostic Gospels. But there are many. And... Uh, if you love your Christianity, you can flush it out beautifully by exposing yourself to this new information. While most of your Christian friends are still stuck in the Middle Ages um, with the uh, King James Version from 1611. And King James was not much of a Christian, I must say. Um, he did not really like this idea of the kingdom is within, right? <laughs> you imagine a king going along with the kingdom is within and everybody has a share of the kingdom he's going no no <laughs> the kingdom is mine and I I rule by uh, by divine providence and so on so anyway the uh, the Om has these three parts as well even in the way it's pronounced so we've talked about the Om as Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva right found in Hinduism Buddhism and elsewhere in Eastern philosophy We've talked about it as corresponding to sky, earth, I'm sorry, sky, atmosphere, and earth. Well, the way the Om is pronounced, you'll often hear people chanting Om, Om, which I don't know where they were taught to do that, but Om is pronounced Aum, A-U-M. Why? Three parts, three sounds. It's the divine trinity again. In this case, the letter A, the letter U, and the letter M. And so when you chant verbally the Om, it's ah, ooh, only put it together. Notice, and if we had been raised in the East, we'd learn this there, but for fortune, we missed out on all of this, just like the Eastern folks generally know little about Judeo-Christianity. Uh, it's the back of the mouth, the middle of the mouth, and the front of the mouth. Right? Try it. Ah, is about as far back as you can go in making a sound in your mouth. Ah. 
open your mouth comes from the back of the mouth. Ah, and then ooh, ah, ooh, you come into the middle of the mouth. Ah, ooh. And then the third element, the front of the mouth, is where you close your lips and make the M sound. Ah, and you move from the back to the middle to the front of the mouth, from sky through atmosphere to earth. Just as divinity as an energy precipitates down from the plane of so-called God through the hierarchy of souls, if you will, and ascended masters and and elder brothers, and your ancestors, whatever is your belief system, that would be the middle bit, down to earth, where we're living still in physical dense. And so that's replicated and represented in the sound of Aum, which is the way Om is supposed to be pronounced. I think that's fascinating. Again, so the Om represents Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, it represents in the same way sky, atmosphere, earth, and even the sound has a triune nature, just like the Kether Kachma and Bana of uh, Jewish mysticism, the uh, king, prince, and queen, uh, the Egyptian, uh, the father, son, and mother aspect of Christianity, and uh, so there's something about the threeness of things, a beginning, a middle, and an end, that has been always seen as divine. Even Pythagoras, you know, probably the first philosopher, the first world philosopher, uh, a Greek born in Africa, who traveled through Europe and the Middle East and Asia 500 years or so before Christ, and probably the first global philosopher, exposed to all these traditions and one of the things that fascinated him was the triangle the fact for example that a three-legged stool never rocks uh, I think if you consider that a stool or a table that has less than three legs is inherently unstable and isn't going to stand up at all right? Uh, if you have four legs or more on a chair or a table, every one of those legs has to be exactly the same length. Otherwise, the chair or the table will rock. But if you have three legs on the chair, the stool, or the table, it doesn't matter how long they are. Uh, they can each be a different length. They can, they can be any length, and they're inherently stable. The, three, the tripod, the three-legged stool. Well, you know, the ancient Africans thought that was just a trip. What is it about this triangle? In fact, it didn't even have to be an equilateral triangle, so they started playing around with the shapes. And Pythagoras was really interested in how the three related to the four, so he was playing around a lot with triangles and squares, and he found the right triangle, and the now famous Pythagorean uh, hypothesis. Uh, it's more than a hypothesis now. The uh, Pythagorean, uh, what do they call it? A theorem? Maybe it is called a hypothesis. It's the formula 
of the sum of the square of the sides is equal to the square of the hypotenuse, which is the side opposite the right angle. I'm sure you all remember that from from junior high school. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Well, that's a major breakthrough. And again, tends like the three-legged stool to reinforce the idea, at least in the minds of ancient people, that there's something extraordinarily powerful about the number three. Uh, time is usually broken into three bits. The, the past, the present, and the future. Or the beginning, the middle, and the end. Uh, the three-act play, for example. And space, in the same way, is divided into height and width and, and depth. We think of the fourth dimension being time. So space has three dimensions. Time has three dimensions. Uh, apparently, most of the philosophers of the world believe that divinity has, in the same way, three dimensions. Uh, I, I just think this is very fascinating and uh, intriguing stuff. Now, I'm going to read uh, a few quotes here, and I also want to talk about the Om as a visual symbol. Uh, and then we'll go to your questions. So you may be thinking about uh, typing out at this point a question or a comment uh, in text on the web page in front of you. Or if you're calling in by telephone, pressing star 2 on the telephone touchpad will raise your hand, so to speak. And uh, I will see that on my panel uh, I had a problem last week. I was using two different browsers, and when I went to the telephone, I cut off the program inadvertently. I was running long anyway, but my apology for abruptly ending the program last week. We had uh, a call from uh, New Mexico. Uh, we have two women, in Donna and Diane. And I had the two mixed up, but it was Diane that called from Albuquerque. And we had a nice chat, and I thought it was all going out over the feed, but I had uh, inadvertently disconnected. So this is a new feature, to be able to have a telephone conference call at the same time we do a webinar and to be able to not only take text questions via the web, but to be able to unmute callers one at a time. That's pretty cool. So... Forgive me if it takes me a few weeks to to figure it out. For the longest time, nobody wanted to call. I mean, there were callers. I could see you there, but nobody wanted to break the ice. So You guys don't start doing that soon. Thank you for that, Diane, last week. And uh, if I don't hear from you, I'm going to start hiring ringers uh, to break the ice here. <laughs> um, so I want both, ideally. Text questions and people on the telephone. Star 2, if you're on the telephone, will raise your hand. We'll go to that in a minute. There is, a, I, mean, I, think, I think Westerners are pretty familiar with the, uh, with the word mantra or mantram as a syllable. could be a single syllable or a combination of syllables and words that are chanted. Uh, one of the most famous mantras in Eastern philosophy that includes the word Om. Some people just chant Aum. Um, 
But there's also the Om Mani Padmi Hung. Om Mani, and there the Aum is pronounced Om. I guess there's not a whole lot of agreement in the East about this. But Om Mani Padmi Hung um, is a very popular chant. And these are like short prayers that you verbalize to center your meditation. Um, there's a lot of research that's been done in the last 25 or 30 years in the West that says from the point of brain waves and the impact that chanting has on the human brain, it doesn't seem to matter very much what you chant. It's your intention in choosing the word. So if you're inclined to want to use a verbal mantra to chant, so to speak, to center yourself in meditation, to focus your attention, you could choose love. That could be your mantra. Love, 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 or the word one, one, or God, or peace. And they seem to work as well as Aum, or Om Mani Padmi Hang, or whatever mantra or chant you may be using. Again, people that are... Uh, dedicated and devoted disciples of these disciplines might not be so flexible in agreeing with what I'm saying. But from the point of view of Western science, whatever we're measuring in terms of brain waves and neural activity and blood flow, it doesn't seem to matter what you chant as long as your intention is positive and harmonious and aspirational. Intention goes a long way. In fact, in philosophy, intention is often used as a synonym for will, as in free will or willpower, um, the word intention. So anytime you mess up, you can always say, well, my intention was good, if indeed that's true. If, <laughs> if your intention is good, you get points for that. Well, it's also taught in Eastern philosophy, and much less so in the West, that visual symbols have power. And that in addition to using a verbal mantra to focus or center yourself in meditation, you can use a visual symbol, often called a yantra, like the word mantra, beginning with the letter Y, a yantra. And these are often mandalas, very symmetrical, beautifully balanced shapes that are designed for contemplation. Um, if you've ever been into a uh, <clears throat> Islamic mosque, for example, and look at the ceiling, often as not, you'll see these beautiful um they would not call it a yantra, uh, but some sort of balanced um, mandala. It could be square, it could be circular. Circular. They're often eightfold geometry. Sometimes there's a sixfold or even fourfold geometry in that. Uh, and these are popular around the world. Tibetan Buddhists uh, have a magical ceremony of creating these beautiful mandalas as yantras or focuses of meditation out of brightly colored sand 
with intricate detail and painstaking effort for days and days and days. And then because of their wisdom, uh, one of the core tenets of Buddhism, of course, is that all things in physical are impermanent. So as soon as they're done making it, they pray over it, they uh, scoop it all up ceremoniously and uh, put the colored sand into a jar and pour it into a river where it's carried downstream and all those grains of sand bless the world downstream and to make such beautiful art and then destroy it is part of honoring and recognizing at least the impermanent nature of all things interestingly the Hopi Indians do the same thing sand painting and often with the same symbols both use the swastika for example that Hitler reversed, well, you turn Hitler's swastika around and you get this ancient Eastern symbol, um, the flying cross. And um, Hitler was an occultist. We should do a show about uh, uh, right-wing occultism and how Hitler was fascinated with uh, uh, mystical symbology uh, and tried to pervert mysticism and occult sciences into something negative. Part of why occult, the word meaning hidden, uh, is hidden. And uh, a lot of religious people portray anything occult as satanic. Well, you can thank Hitler and and others for that, trying to find some sort of worldly power over other people with a symbol that is intended to increase your spiritual power to aspire to know God better, not to control humans. And so they usually reverse it, like the way Hitler reversed the swastika, or um, in Satanism you'll sometimes see the uh, pentagraph, the five-pointed star, inverted and turned upside down. And uh, just the idea that the negative is the antithesis of the positive, evil is the opposite of good, Satan is the antagonist of the uh, of, uh, of the Godhead, and so on and so forth. But it's all symbols. It's all playing with symbols. And how much power it has could be argued as largely a function of your belief system and how deeply inbred this is into your belief system and your character. So the Om does have a symbol, You've seen it before. It's a little difficult for me to to describe. You can put it into Google Images, and you'll see a million of them there. It looks sort of like a number three with a little squiggle above and another little mark off to the right side and a bit below. And again, those three represent, as I said before, but now we're talking visually, not only the three sounds of A-U-M, but the sky, atmosphere, and earth as the three shapes. And atmosphere is the one that corresponds to the shape that looks to a Westerner like the number three, and that's larger than the other two. Again, that would correspond to Christ in the Christian Trinity, um, or the soul, or the love aspect. In the East, love is understood as consciousness or awareness. 
There's not much discussion in Hinduism or Buddhism about the soul. It's a very veiled concept. And only the most advanced Buddhist priests or Hindu masters are even allowed to, to discuss the idea of an individuated bit of the divine. They're very, um, how shall I say, um, oriented toward the dichotomy, manichaeistic, do you know that word, either or, and that there is the one and the many, and that's it. Okay, so when you die in Eastern philosophy, you are absorbed into the oneness of things, and there is no middle ground, there is no eternal soul. But there really is, it's just they don't talk about it for the masses. Um, and the same could be said about uh, the Jewish religion, very little, if anything, about the soul, except in its mysticism, and uh, uh, also in Christianity. Um, in Christianity, more is made of the soul in, than, than in most other religions, but it's still thought of as something that is fashioned upon conception by God, whereas mystical Christianity has always seen the soul as pre-existing and incarnating, once or many times, extending itself into form, but that your soul has existed since the beginning of time and dwells now in heaven. I've often mentioned this in these classes as the ultimate heresy in Western religion, to talk about the pre-existence of the soul or to suggest that your soul is already in heaven and, and what needs redemption is your ego, not your soul. Your soul is doing fine and will benefit from the trials and tribulations that the ego goes through. It's done for the benefit of the evolving soul. But um, it's an important distinction. I just want to say that this visual image can be meditated upon in the same way that the verbal or auditory pronunciation of the symbol of Om can be used. And that's sort of an intriguing aspect of this as well. Remember, most of Western religion, especially um, the Hebrew religion, Jewish religion, uh, and, Christ and uh, I'm sorry, Islam, are very much free of icons, idols, or visual representations. You go into a Jewish synagogue or a Muslim mosque or temple, and you will not see pictures, you will not see frescoes or tapestries or statues or paintings or stained glass. All right? Um, that's blasphemy to, to Muslims and Jews. And Christians say it's blasphemy, but you go into a Catholic church or most uh, Protestant churches, and they're filled with stained glass and statues and icons. and So they say one thing but practice another. You know, Even the contradiction of the church having gold chalices and you know the priests wearing these expensive vestments when Christ was obviously an anti-materialist. He wouldn't even wear shoes. Uh, there's been a long-going battle in the, throughout the Middle Ages and the Renaissance area uh, Renaissance era in much of Europe where the so-called discalced monks 
whether they were Franciscans or Jesuits or whatever particular order, often there were these discalced monks. In other words, uh, they were they were priests or monks or brothers uh, initiated into a religious order who refused to wear shoes as part of the statement that Christ made of being an anti-materialist. Remember, Christ said to the rich guy, follow, to follow me, you've got to give away everything, right? And the rich person's chance of getting into heaven is about the same as a camel getting through the eye of the needle and all of that. It's like pacifism. We forget that. Christ was a pacifist and an anti-materialist, and we celebrate him with war and material things pretty crazy pretty crazy um, so you've got the verbally spoken ohm and you've got the visual representation of ohm in both cases they are triune or triparty three parts the trinity in nature and um, can be used verbally or visually to center yourself now, what I want to do before I go to the questions is tell you how it's used. The Om is believed to be, in Hinduism and Buddhism and related philosophies, the sound of all other sounds, the sound of all things, the sound that was sounded by the Most Divine in the beginning to create all light, all sound and all physical objects. It was, you know, if, if you go to the ancient uh, Aborigine philosophy down under, for example, in Australia, and talk to those people about their religion, they will say a similar thing, that, that God blew reality into creation with the didgeridoo and the sound of the didgeridoo which is usually a eucalyptus uh, tree branch that's been hollowed out by termites, and and you you blow it like a trumpet or a tuba, and create the sound that that supposedly corresponds to or represents the sound that God used, and even in the uh, so-called Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, in the beginning, they uh, Moses writes in Genesis, in the we presume it's Moses. In the beginning, there was the word. This is the element of air, or the spoken word, the throat chakra, if you will, the touchdown point of the higher three chakras, the crown, the ajna, and the throat that speaks reality into existence. So the om is used for blessings, for good fortune, as a great way to begin a project, um, like a prayer of uh, petition or a request to God uh, to be supported in this effort. Um, a request for a blessing, that's essentially uh, what it is. But since I was not raised in the East, and, and all that I know of Eastern philosophy is what I've read and studied, I thought I'd share some words by uh, famous Eastern philosophers to give you a little idea of how the Om is used as a as a verbal auditory symbol and also as a, a visual symbol. Um, first, I have a, a brief uh, a brief quotation from Vivekananda, 
Swami Vivekananda emerged on the world scene in about the turn of the century, a little over a hundred years ago. I believe it was 1898 at the World's Fair in Chicago that Vivekananda came to speak. And Americans, many of them, most of them for the first time, were exposed to a real uh, Hindu Swami and, and, and what he had to say. And Vivekananda, his English was pretty good, and he was a very eloquent and well-spoken man, a truly inspired teacher. And uh, for those looking for more insight into Eastern philosophy, his book on Raja Yoga is a real good place to begin. And from that book, Vivekananda writes about the Om. In the beginning was, and doesn't this sound familiar? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this Word is Om. The sacred monosyllable Om is the beginning of all creation, Vivekananda writes. Om, this Word, is the whole universe. The sages say that everything, past, present, and future, is the sound of Om. And whatever else is beyond these three divisions of time, that also, indeed, is Om. You see, the three divisions of time, past, present, and future. There's your trinity again, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, sky, atmosphere, earth, uh, the three-legged school, a stool, <laughs> the three-legged chair, if you will our table, um, Pythagoras' triangle, and there's this link again. Uh, from one of the Upanishads, the Mundaka, I believe it's pronounced, this is written, the word Om is the bow, and the soul is the arrow. God is said to be the target. Isn't that nice? So, God's the, let's do it backwards. God's the target. Your soul is the arrow. God is the destination. Your soul is the journey. It's Om that is the bow that launches the soul on its journey toward the Godhead. Uh, the Upanishad goes on, By the unfaltering, it is to be known, one becomes united with it as the arrow, to become united with with God. And here we see the reference I mentioned earlier. The Upanishad goes on, in whom sky, earth, and atmosphere are interwoven, and also the mind together with all the life breaths. This alone, though, is the one soul. Other words dismiss. This is the bridge to immortality, where the channels are brought together like the spokes in the hub of a wheel. There it moves and becomes manifold. Om, thus meditate on the soul. May you be successful in crossing over to the farther shore beyond darkness. Here's another short one from a different Upanishad. This is called the Prashna Upanishad. Whoever meditates upon the Supreme Spirit with the three letters of Om, A-U-M, is united in brilliance with the sun. As a snake is freed from its skin, so is one freed from sin, and is led by the Samaveda to the world of God, 
where one can see the spirit that lives in the city of the human body and is above the highest life. And how about one more from still a different Upanishad, the uh, Mandukya Upanishad. And here Om is spelled A-U-M. This imperishable word is the universe. It is explained as the past, the present, and the future. Everything in the world is A-U-M. Also, whatever transcends threefold time is A-U-M. All here is God. This soul is God. The same soul is fourfold. The waking state, outwardly conscious, having seven limbs and nineteen doors, enjoying gross objects common to all, is the first. The dreaming stage, inwardly conscious, having seven limbs and nineteen doors, enjoying subtle objects that are bright, is the second. When one sleeps without yearning for any desire, seeing no dreams, that is deep sleep. And the deep sleep state, unified, is wisdom gathered, consisting of bliss, enjoying bliss, whose door is conscious wisdom, is the third. And this is the Lord of all. This is the omniscient. This is the inner controller. This is the universal womb. For this is the origin and the end of beginnings. I'm sorry, the origin and the end of beings. Not inwardly wise, nor outwardly wise, nor both ways wise, nor gathered wisdom, nor wise, nor unwise, unseen, incommunicable, hold on, I scrolled too far, intangible, featureless, unthinkable, indefinable, whose essence is the security of being one with the soul. The end of evolution, peaceful, good, non-dual, this they deem the fourth. It is the soul that should be discerned. This is the soul in regard to the word aum and its parts. The parts are the letters, and the letters are its parts, A-U-M. The waking state is common to the letter A. I'm going to skip through some of this. The sleeping state is the letter U, and the deep sleep state is the letter M. So there again, the number three, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, sky, atmosphere, earth, father, son, mother, or Holy Spirit, uh, Kether, Kakma, Bana, king, prince, queen, again and again and again. There, there must come a day, and I argue it is at hand, when all religions are appreciated, respected, and combined, if not in a unitive, a harmonious way that allows for distinction and yet honors the harmony. There is a trinity here, unity, harmony, and diversity. And I'm not saying that for the world to get along in the, and to make it through the next century, we have to have a unified global religion. But we're going to have to move from the separatism, from, if you will, it's not merely the diversity. Diversity is not the problem. 
the my way is better than your way is the problem. That my God is real and your God is not. Right? Wouldn't it be more important that the intention in your heart and your mind is real? Are we going to argue over the name of God, the shape of God, the teachings? There's not that much to argue over if a Christian would explore Eastern religion. And if the Hindus and Buddhists would take another look at Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, then we could agree to disagree in a way that would be harmonious, and we could stop these religious-based wars. That we have many religions is not the problem. The problem is the fundamentalists, those fundamentalists that are separative and arrogant, in their belief that their way is the only one right way. That, to me, is heresy. That, to me, is blasphemy. For how could you have God in your heart and say, if your idea of divinity is different from mine, then you're wrong? That, to me, seems to be the most basic contradiction of all. Right? I will honor and respect anybody who has love in their heart and who seeks to know more about love. That's what it's all about. That's what it really comes down to. All right, so um, with that little introduction, let's go to your questions and uh, see what we have here. Let me check the... Uh, we got two windows I've got to look at. Let me check the callers. and I don't see any hands raised, but I do see callers here. Hello. We have people in Hawaii, we have people in Nevada, we have people in Kansas that are listening on the telephone, to name a few, California, and so until someone in the... And again, if you guys want to ask your question by phone, just press star 2, and I'll come back in just a minute. Let's check the text questions for the bashful ones, <laughs> for those that just prefer to type. And saying hello today is Carol Pastel from La Habra. She's always with us. Thank you, Carol. Aloha. Good, good afternoon. In Los Angeles, Eric says, how do we work with those who do not display a tolerance to other viewpoints, who distort the truth and lack patience? I suppose I could offer a, let's see, I suppose I could offer a patience with an understanding towards their apparent deficits, but how can we hold hope when they display passive arguments or passive-aggressive withdrawal? Passive-aggressive withdrawal. Well, gently and kindly and tolerantly. You, <laughs> you know, you don't... Um, I want to say you don't fight fire with fire, but actually um, that is a way to fight fire. Uh, but you don't fight hatred with hatred. You don't fight fear with fear. And you surely don't fight ignorance with ignorance. So the last thing we want to do in appealing to people to open their minds, whether it's religion or any other area, is to be kind and sweet and tolerant and patient and, and gentle, I think. Um, consider that anybody that is resisting new information, anybody who is either or in their mindset, and as a problem seeing the third way or 
the middle way of relative truth, who instead is stuck in an absolute view of everything or nothing, where life to them is either true or false, and anything lukewarm they spit out. They don't want. <laughs> they, they don't have the tolerance or the patience for permutations or combinations, which is where the truth is usually found, not in the extremes, right? Football is played not in the end zones, but on the playing field. So if you're an extreme one way or the other, you're out of bounds. Um, I, I, I think it really helps Eric to recognize that their confusion, dare I say their ignorance, their unwillingness. It's, I don't mean by ignorance what they don't know. I'm talking about their unwillingness to learn anything, right, uh, is rooted in fear. And we can have compassion for their fear. You know, most Christians have never read the Bible. They have no idea what's in it. Most Jews have never read the Talmud. Most Hindus don't read the Upanishads or the Vedas. <laughs> they just follow along. They don't have time. Uh, they're confused. They're all mixed up. And, of course, they're being told there are fundamentalists in all religions. There are violent people in all religions. Except, perhaps, for Buddhism. I don't think I've ever met a suicide bomber who was a Buddhist, but... Nevertheless, Hindus will blow you up, right? Muslims will blow you up. Jews and Christians will kill you first and ask questions later, right? Um, so you have to look at the, I think, in response to your inquiry, the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance and the way ignorance comes out of fear and creates more fear, which creates more ignorance and more fear, and more ignorance and more fear, and the next thing you know, you're just holding on. you got a shotgun in one hand and a Bible in the other. And you never read the Bible, but you're willing to use the shotgun to kill anybody who disagrees with you. That all differences are opposites is a sure sign of a, of a confused, if ignorant is too strong a word for you, certainly a confused individual, and therefore a dangerous individual. So be careful. But the antidote, of course, is education, light, enlightenment, the third way. If you can crack somebody open to the idea of relativity, that this is partially true, or this is true to some degree, all right, uh, moderation, the middle way it's sometimes called, if you can get them thinking that maybe it's a little bit of both, then the fourth possibility, the fifth option, the sixth alternative, the seventh way of looking at things, now they're opened up, you see, to truly creative thinking. And that's a major leap forward in the evolution of humanity. To go from either or to multiple choice is a huge leap. And a lot of our friends and neighbors because of their in, in, inherent fears and confusion, are holding on for dear life, and they don't want to know anything about something between right and wrong, good and bad, my way or the highway, love it or leave it, right? So, uh, 
how do you deal with it? Carefully, gently, kindly, sweetly. Acknowledge. You know, one of the tricks is acknowledge. If somebody's attacking you, acknowledge whatever in their statement you can agree with. If you can find anything to agree with in their position, acknowledge it. That'll confuse them even further. <laughs> but they'll feel like you're now on their side. And then having acknowledged just one little part of what they have to say, often you create an opening where they might be able and willing then to acknowledge even just one little piece of what you have to say. And now you've got some little ground to build upon. This is mediation, not adjudication. You know, adjudication is the gavel comes down and somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Mediation is you're both right to a relative degree. Might be 50-50, but it's probably 80-20 or, you know, 67-33, <laughs> somewhere in there. Uh, Plato and Aristotle thought that the middle was usually a golden mean. Uh, but I don't want to get too far afield in all of that. We've done programs on the middle way or the third way in the past. We'll do them again in the future. In Tucson, Lorelai Hatch is with us again today. She says aloha. Uh, she likes the class, awesome class. Uh, Lorelai says, I have the OM symbol as a tattoo, and it's funny how many times it's mistaken for the number 30. Yeah, that big number three shape looks like a three. That's the middle. That's the consciousness part. Thanks again for the wonderful class. Uh, peace and love to you and Doreen. In uh, England, the UK, as Jacob calls it, the United Kingdom, Jacob says, I find a similarity in the OM sound, the AUM sound, and the Aboriginal didgeridoo, which I mentioned. I'd like to be more knowledgeable on the effects of vibration on the consciousness. Also, can you mention the name of the book you mentioned at the start of the class related to the Dead Sea Scrolls and maybe where I could search for it? Thanks for the class. Yeah, Jacob, I think it's simply called the Gnostic Gospels, but remember, Gnostic has a silent G on the front, just like Gnostic means knowledge, and the word knowledge has a silent K on the front. So, <laughs> sort of why the Greek version uh, of Gnostic starts with a silent letter also, the silent G. So Gnostic is G-N-O-S-T-I-C. You probably knew that part. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the author is Eileen, E-I-L-E-E-N, Pagels, P like Peter, A-G-E-L-S, Eileen Pagels. And uh, you should not have a problem uh Finding that I got too many windows open now, or I'd Google it for you. Uh, and you know the effects of vibration on consciousness. Wow, what a beautiful concept here! Everything that exists metaphysically. Let me say this better. Metaphysically, we can see, or spiritually, we can see everything that exists as vibrational in nature. Even particulate matter has its vibration. The electrons are flashing 
this was discovered 60 or 70 years ago, and yet we're still being taught, and our children are being taught, that electrons rotate in shells or circular paths in spheres around the nucleus of a molecule. They don't. They flash. They turn on and off. They disappear and then reappear. This is quantum physics or quantum mechanics. But it's terrifying to people to consider that what they think of as reality, physical dense stuff, is really a vibration. And it's flashing in much the same way that you go to a movie theater and what looks like a movie, isn't that a funny word, a movie, it's moving, it's a movie. <laughs> it's like a three-year-old invented it. Uh, the flicks, the flicker, is actually 26 frames per second. So every one second, 1,001, 1,002, 26 stills are flashing in front of your face, but the brain can't discern them as discrete, puts them together as fluid motion, and so when you look at the computer screen in front of you or the coffee cup in your left hand, the clothes you drape on your body, um, that steel fence over there, whatever, uh, whatever the material it's made out of, ultimately it's vibration. It's all vibration, Jacob. And consciousness is vibration as well. So the impact of vibration on vibration can be either constructive or destructive. And an elementary book on physics, like a high school physics book, um, or just doing some Google research on wave action, uh, one of the best ways to study it is in a ripple tank where you can see energy, waves of energy moving through water. And that's a great visual. Uh, radio waves move through the air. My voice is a vibration now moving along a wire in a telephone uh, that is going out onto the Internet. At some point, it's probably a wireless, and you're picking it up from a wireless router whether it moves down a wire or Wi-Fi through the air or broadcast on the radio, it's all vibration, okay? It's the yin and the yang. It's the positive and the negative. It has a period or frequency horizontally. It has amplitude vertically, and everything is said to be vibration. Consciousness is vibration. So if you put your mind and your emotional nature on something positive, uplifting, life-affirming, you raise or refine the frequency, so to speak. And this is the essence of esoteric magic, the idea that we could turn water into wine by raising its frequency, that we can turn lead into gold by raising its frequency. But again, these are allegories or metaphor for lifting a negative situation into a positive situation, redeeming a circumstance, a conversation, an argument, a relationship. It's all about vibration. Just like finding the right note on the piano will cause the snare drum over here in the corner to vibrate all by itself. Sympathetic vibration, sympathetic oscillation, sympathetic magic, 
the basis of all magic? Great question. Thanks. Uh, let's see. In Irvine, Robert Fiegel uh, is with us again today, and he says, Aloha, Michael. He says, I grew up, of course, as a Christian with the Christian religion as my family's religion, as did a lot of us, and I really agree with many of the teachings of the, that Jesus taught, but I really moved away from the Christian church as it became a front for political groups, and as has the Catholic church. He says, I, I think you can learn a lot from the teachers, but beware of the organization. <laughs> who uses spiritual teachers as a front for their own particular agenda. Uh, excellent class, Michael. Thanks for the enlightenment. Have a magical week. And thank you, Robert, for that. Uh, somebody says you answered my question before reading my comment, so they erased their comment other than to say thank you. And let's see. Let me go back to the callers. I don't see any callers with questions, so... Let's do a little visualization exercise, a guided meditation, and I'll let you guys go. All right, that'll be our wisdom class for the day today. Again, remember, if you miss part of this or you just like it, you want to keep it or pass it on to a friend, then get the uh, the replay off theagelesswisdom.com or from uh, the podcast that goes out and you can subscribe at the podcast directory. Uh, that Well, they're all over the Internet, dozens of podcast directories, certainly the iTunes Music Store, and I think there's even a link on my website to do that, too. Any problem with that or any other personal matter, you may want to inquire about private uh, counseling sessions or training with me. I am still doing that, and couples counseling also. Uh, over the telephone, uh, even do meditation over the phone. I'm about to. So you can call me or email me on that, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. And I still keep a L.A. telephone voicemail 24-7 and the 818 area code 569-3017. Give me a call sometime, leave a message, I'll call you back, 818 569 3017 in Los Angeles 24-7 take a slow deep breath and relax as you exhale and get comfortable sit upright but not rigidly erect feel rather relaxed and balanced and centered as you take a second and a third slow deep breath and as you exhale, create and sense a letting go feeling as if you were very safe and relaxed. Feel muscular tension falling away. Feel the letting go. Remembering times in your life that you felt loved and loving and lovable, rather warm and fuzzy, really safe, as if life was really going your way. Hopefully you'll have many such occasions to draw upon. And I'd suggest you also imagine yourself in a beautiful place with 
green trees and sunny warm meadows, flowers, birds singing. My voice will guide you. And my voice will bring you back. Imagine blue sky and sunshine and white puffy clouds. and The temperature is just right. You can feel the gentle warmth of the sun. And if you move into the shade, it feels a little cooler. Cooler still if you move into a dark forested place. Perhaps sit beside a stream or a little lake. And feel yourself sitting upon the ground. The earth itself, or maybe a tree stump or a log, maybe a big rock. But sitting upon the ground. And plugged into the ground. As if like a tree or a bush, you have roots that reach into the earth. I do this with every single meditation. I connect myself, reminding myself that I am a spiritual being. I am an energy or electrical being. And all energy, all vibration seeks the earth. So imagine yourself rooted in the earth. At the same time, imagine yourself sitting receptive to a downward flow, a precipitation, if you will, a gentle rain that sprinkles down upon you. Or you could perhaps imagine a pencil-thin laser beam coming down from the sky into the very top of your head, or like a funnel, a gentle vortex of spinning energy that funnels a downward impress of spirit into the very top of your head so that you sit as the middle element between the sky and the earth between father spirit above and mother matter as the ground. And you're the middle element. You are the heart and soul of things. You stand receptive to the impress of spirit, open to and even focusing your intention and attention intuitively on your aspiration to the Most High and the Most Divine, seeking to do what is in the greater good of all concerned, and standing open and intuitive to that. But at the same time, rooted into the earth, grounded so that energy passing through you has a place to go. You're like the conductor between sky and earth, between spirit and matter. You're the soul, the middle element like the atmosphere between sky and earth. The Vishnu between Brahma and Shiva, 
the son between father spirit and mother matter, the prince between the king of heaven and the queen of the material world. Yeah? And as this spirit flows through you and into the earth, there is a magnetic aura that surrounds you. Anytime an energy moves is electrical magnetic current through a wire or through a conductor of any kind along your spine. Then a magnetic field is generated around it. And so imagine a golden glow all around you as you stand open and even more receptive to this vertical impress. And you become consciously, simply by paying attention and forming the intention to be a path of least resistance. Then more spirit, more light, more creativity, more power, more passion and compassion moves through you and is available to you as you emanate that effortlessly out into the world as a being of love and light. Others I've seen have taken credit for this, but it was Teilhard de Chardin in Phenomena of Man who wrote, You are not a human being having spiritual experiences. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. That simply means be aware of yourself as electrical and energetic and able to determine the frequency or the rate of vibration. Is your ability in the world to bring light to darkness, to bring understanding to ignorance, and bring passion and compassion to those that know no love, no harmony. And here's a, a beautiful triune model of spirit, the sky above, the heavens, of earth, the ground below. Even lightning seeks the ground, all electricity, every electrical circuit has a ground and end point. Even electricity in your house from the power plant has a second wire to take it back to the power plant. It is a circle. It is a circuit. It is a cycle. And it goes back to the ground. And you are the middle element, the conductor, the path aspire to be a path of less resistance, more open and receptive, receiving more and giving more. And imagine this L-shaped alignment where you are receptive to above, plugged into the earth, and yet radiating on the horizontal. All the love and the light, the wisdom and the understanding the mercy, the passion, and compassion that is the wisdom 
that is the heart and soul, that is the truth and the love and the consciousness of all things. Emanating effortlessly, radiating on the horizontal, out into the world, for the greater good of all concerned, to the exclusion of no one. Without reservation, without hesitation, give away freely what you receive without condition. And bring with you back to the waking state now whatever realization this promotes for you. In terms of your purpose and the opportunity that you represent as a unique individual to the contribute to, to, to contributing to the well, simply the betterment of humanity. What feels better than generosity and kindness and giving something away without being concerned about getting something in return? You need nothing in return on the horizontal if everything you need is flowing down from above you. Give it away on the horizontal, needing nothing back. For everything you need is above you. Infinity and eternity. See it as opportunity to make a difference in the world. And whatever is your sense of divinity, of the creator, of the of the most supreme source, of the absolute, of what religious people call God, or Aum, the one life, the one thing. Imagine releasing like a helium balloon and letting it float upward, your gratitude and your appreciation for the opportunity to be alive as a as an emissary as a as a liaison as an agent of the most high simply redeeming darkness to light fear to love ignorance to understanding via the wisdom of all ages of all peoples and all times Take a nice, slow breath, filling your lungs. Hold as you peak for just a moment, and as you exhale slowly, remembering the room around you, open your eyes now, wide awake and alert, back in the room, rested, refreshed, feeling all, I dare say, revitalized and energized and rejuvenated, got your batteries recharged. And again, uh, Pretty basic meditation when it comes to the triune nature, the trinity of things, and our role as the soul. 
between heaven and earth, between God and man, between the one and the many. Found in all religions and all cultures and all societies, and a beautiful stepping-off point for us to be more inclusive and more harmonious in our worldview. Okay. Hey, thanks so much for being with us, and I uh, hope you'll join us next Sunday and every Sunday live, if you can, at 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 in the East, 20 hours GMT. A few weeks from now, we'll go back to um, standard time, and yet the time of this event will not change. It'll still be at 1 o'clock local time on the West Coast, 4 o'clock local time on the East Coast of the United States. And uh, it'll go, I guess, to 21 hours GMT at that point. So it really won't change. As long as you change your clocks, it'll always be at the same time year-round. And please remember FocusedPassion.com, the premium audio program hosted by my 30-plus-year business partner in all of these human potential affairs, Steve Snyder, a premium podcast that's less than $1 a week, $0.99 a week. And everything we do is free except this one premium stream, studio quality, a new program every week with Steve and I, compelling conversations. We've done all the work. This is the best of, well, if you add our 35 years together, 70 years of research into personal development, empowerment, and potential from accelerated learning to the spiritual and back again. Incredible lessons that will help you solve your problems and heal your heart. Sign up for three ninety six a month. You can unsubscribe anytime you want, and if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. But it's a great way to support our mission, all of the free stuff that we have for you. And like these programs, you can... Use the Send One to a Friend gadget to forward at no charge at all. These programs, the Ageless Wisdom class, but also the uh, the Focus Passion series. We call it Finding Yourself in Paradise, Finding Your Real Self, Your True Self. And uh, there's a bunch of excerpts at FocusedPassion.com, anywhere from a minute to two or three minutes. You can listen to those. Click on the button that says Get My Free Programs, and there are six full, complete programs that you can get just by leaving an email address, nothing else. Choose a password, and you're in. You can forward those to your friends, and now you'll have an account. And if you like it, then you can sign up for 99 cents. If after a month you don't like it, well, return. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever asked for a rebate, but we would do that. And uh, more than likely, you're going to love the programs. And they're yours to keep. They'll be on your iPod, and uh, they'll be in your library. They'll be on your desktop and in your computer. And you can read them with an RSS reader in your browser. You can send them to your podcast folder in iTunes. You can keep them on your desktop, put them in a special folder. They're yours to keep at $0.99. Powerful stuff. And it supports all this other stuff we're doing because we don't want to uh, go to the advertising. Don't you hate those websites that have advertising on them? Google ads all over them or audio programs where, you know, they want the podcast free, so 
they're putting ads in there. We'd 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 rather use like the HBO model, right? Which is you just subscribe and we'll give you high quality programming and all this other stuff will always be free. Thanks a lot for being with us. That's focused passion. It's past tense. Ed focused passion. The W's dot focused passion dot com. At least go get your free programs and join us here for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School next week. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii. This is Michael Benner.